Vegas, welcome on in. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It is Tim Unglesby and Mateo with you here in Las Vegas. And oh, by the way, my co-host, as always, he's here in Las Vegas too, Tom Barton. Tom, BartonSports.com. Tommy, welcome back to Las Vegas. It's only been a couple weeks, but welcome back. Yeah, well, you guys are going to be seeing me a lot more now. All of a sudden, uh, able to, to travel again. I'll, I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm here. Uh, it's uh, good to be back, and I, I do love that, that I'm back in town so quickly. Got the uh, lovely wife with you. What what did Tom Barton do on this football sa- football baseball Saturday? Excuse me. Really nothing. I mean, we, we went out to uh, went out to a nice dinner. We went out to Capitol Grill. They, they, they had a real, I mean, a, a really fantastic time there. But other than that, Tim, what, what do you think I did? I watched football all day. I mean, that's really <laughs> what we did. We, and, and I watched Abby lose her mind at Florida State with some of the most moronic, idiotic play calls at the end of the game to give the game away. So it was, uh, it was not exactly a happy ending to, to a good day. But nonetheless, it was still a pretty fun day. And a crazy, crazy weekend in Las Vegas, Tom. Over at Elysian Stadium, over 60, I think it was 66,000 people took in the Notre Dame-BYU matchup. And have um, obviously in, in this show we're going to talk college or uh, NFL Week 5. And I wanted to get some Major League Baseball playoffs in there. So the amount of time we have for the college slate is going to be very, very minimal. Is there anything you really want to touch on to open this show college football-wise other than Alabama found a way to survive again? I'll tell you, you said there were 60-something thousand people at Legion Stadium. I think they were all in, in every casino also because that, that's all I saw, Tim. I mean, they, I turned around in the sports book, and there had to be, and I'm not joking, there had to be 100 people in the sports book, Tim. Uh, you know, just all of a sudden converge on the sports book watching. What were they watching? Well, that Alabama game. And, and I will tell you, a concerning trend, and I said this to Abby, I said the one thing I want to bring up, a concerning trend around college football, I haven't seen it really infiltrate the NFL completely yet, but we do see it in the NFL also. Our, our team's just deciding to not go for three. They, they, just, they don't need those three points, even though, guess what? You do need those three points. In the Buffalo Bowling Green game today, uh, Buffalo was on the one-yard line, fourth and one. They had a 17-point lead. Decided to not take the three, right? Didn't wind up hurting them, but it happened. Bowling Green down uh, early in that game, 14 nothing. Decided to not take the three. Florida State, in a close game, has a chance. It was early on in the game. It's 3 nothing. has a chance to tie the game at three. Decided to go for it all fourth down. All of these times, it didn't work out, right? We watched it happen in the Alabama game. We watched it happen across college football today. And it is one of those weird, concerning trends where you're starting to see the analytics-driven world make just stupid mistakes. I mean, that's all, all it is. I could, you can give me the percentages and give me all the numbers and everything. Sometimes, Tim, it, go, it says, hey, go for three, and you're going to be better off going for the three. And it's a continuing trend throughout college football today. Anybody that watched a lot of college football today, last week, this year, even last year, and some NFL games are understanding. You, sometimes you got to take that three, and these coaches flat out just won't do it, Tim. Yeah, it's the trend that's I, I'm I'm with you. I'm totally. I don't understand when the points are available. In fact, we saw it in the the Ravens game last week against uh, Buffalo. The points were there. Was, look. I know we're going to talk NFL football, but I do have to get this off my chest. I love John Harbaugh. I really do. 
But to tell me that in that instance, instead of putting the three points on the board and making Josh Allen beat you that way, instead of a tie game and having Josh Allen just get you in position to win, and you're going to tell me that they thought that was the best route that they could go to win the game, I I don't need to hear that. College pro, it doesn't matter. Kick the field goal when you take the points, man. Uh, 100%. And and that was one of the – one of the reasons I brought that up because, uh, you know, we did see it in the NFL. I know it, it, it involved one of your teams. And to me, it was a direct correlation to losing that game. And, and I think that we are getting into a generation here where it, it's kind of just outthinking yourself. You know, there, there's a time on fourth down in one yard where you just take those three points. Right? I mean, you just take them. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's on the one yard line. You have a chance to go up. 20 points as opposed to 17 points, or you have a chance to tie the game at three, even though it's early. I mean, just take the points, and they just flat out don't. Other than that, look, I think um, we saw a a little bit of holes in the Alabama armor. I think Tennessee showed us how unbelievably good that this team can be. I spoke about them in the the preseason about um, how I do think that they can really make a push in the SEC. I think that North Carolina State is answering a lot of questions that I didn't think that we'd be having a conversation about North Carolina State. So yeah, a lot of teams out there kind of answering the bell and answering some questions, Tim, even though we're, they may not be elite top, you know, top 10 teams, teams like Wake Forest really did impress today. Um, you go down the gamut, a team like Oregon, all of a sudden the offense is working there. You got to look at them and say, oh yeah, that's a scary team. So I think that this was a lot of separation this week. And I think, too, when you look at in the Big Ten, and I get it, anything can happen in the next five weeks, but really you're seeing a collision course with Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I I think we knew that all along, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. before the season began, I talked to you about what I believed in this Ohio State team. I know that you felt very similar that Ohio State just has that offense that you just flat out can't stop. Um, And I think that we are in a, a position here where we all sort of go, saw this going down and here it is, right? Um, the Michigan Wolverines play a very, very, very unique style of football that people believe can't travel, but it has for years now, right? I mean, it has for years now that this is their kind of style. If there's one team that can slow down or potentially slow down this Ohio state team, Maybe it's that style, that style of good defense, frustrate teams, you know, get get out in front of it. Maybe that's what's going to stop them because every time that I look up, and I know I took them in the preseason, so, that you know, I'm a little bit biased here, but every time I look up, it seems like Ohio State's just scoring more and more and nobody can stop them. Let's give you a quick update for those of you with uh, some straight bet or parlay money out there, Boise State. 33-20 at home over Fresno State with about two minutes to go in the fourth. San Diego State 10-7 lead at home over Hawaii. That's early in the fourth quarter. Hawaii giving uh, San Diego State, uh, I think, well, let's get to the Mountain West. One more score. Oregon State down 17-7 at Stanford in the third. So when you look at the Mountain West, Tom, from five weeks ago when we did the preview till now, and this will include UNLV's ass-whipping yesterday that they at the hands of San State. Heading to next week's action, and I'm, I'm going to emphasize UNLV because you and I both had a loss with San Jose State. You and I both have a loss next week with Air Force coming to town. Air Force upset today at Utah State. I think that plays into the favor 
if you're a Falcons fan heading to Las Vegas? Look, before the year began, I said that Las Vegas is just a poor matchup. Uh, just on a straight matchup-wise basis, it, they're just a, a flat-out poor matchup, Tim. Um, the things that this Vegas team can do, uh, they, they're they're able to air it out. They're able to get some offense generated. Defensively, they can kind of contain your passing game. It's late in the game. It's running the ball late in the game that I was concerned about. And that's all that they're going to do. I mean, that's all this team is going to do. And I think it's a very, very bad matchup. If you if you look at just from the X's and O's standpoint, I think it's a very poor matchup for this Raiders. I, I mean, for this uh, UNLV team, you look at UNLV and what they do well. You said it last night. Listen, I questioned the San Jose State game. I had people go, come on, Tom, you know, look at how good this team is. Are you kidding me? Look, I questioned it because I saw certain matchup nightmare problems. Those certain matchup nightmare problems all came to fruition. I don't think that they're nearly as bad as they looked yesterday. I don't think so. I don't think that UNLV is as bad as that. But I don't think they're as good as they've looked at times this season anyway. Against the Falcons, I called it before the preseason. It's a bad matchup problem. I've seen nothing to tell me it's not going to be a bad matchup problem again. Care to put a line on this game? Is you have Air Force's favorite on the road? Yeah, I mean, uh, three, four. Uh, it's so tough. It's so tough because of what exactly just took place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if UNLV had played competitively, I think you get UNLV as a favorite. Actually, Tim, I think that UNLV comes down as a favorite if UNLV played even competitively, but they didn't. They looked terrible. Um, a force off that loss. I still think that a lot of people believe in this UNLV team. I still think that people are looking at the UNLV team and saying, you know, we expect big things. I jokingly kind of said, oh, yeah, don't worry. That eight-win season's still in play, right? I still think people are, are believing in this team, but maybe betters aren't. I don't know. Air Force, Air Force a field goal? Is that yeah. a fair line? That's what I'm thinking. Three, four, somewhere in that area. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that that's a very fair line. Um, I don't know if you get over three, Tim. I don't know if you get to that four number, but yeah, I, I think field goal or, or you know two and a half, three, two, two and a half, three. That's kind of the fair line, and that that's what it should be. And what's going to happen there is that the UNLV faithful are going to line up to go pound UNLV, and it's one of those games where I'm not telling you not to, because I think it's going to be a close game. But I do think that Air Force wins the game. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And Air Force, look. They're one of the few schools in the country. You know what you know what the play the play calls are going to be, right, Tom? You have to just be able to stop it. And as we've seen this season so far, teams with bad defenses, the Northern Iowa's, the Colorados, right, Tom? The Reno's, they haven't been able to stop it. Teams that are solid on both ends, we saw a Wyoming get a win, a close close win. They got it at home, and Navy played them tough just two weeks ago. I think today. If you're really looking at Air Force, maybe today was just a blimp in the road. It's look, Utah State got them. That that's the only thing I can say. They just got them today. It happens, and I think you're right. The overconfidence here in UNLV fans. Oh, they're coming home. We're undefeated. We're three and zero at Allegiant. Place. I don't know what you're going to put in there, but Air Force is is fun to watch, and at the same time, they're they're boring to watch. It's just a matter of whether you can stop them or not. I haven't seen UNLV stop really anybody. That's the thing. No, and that that's exactly the thing. 
I, I mean, that is 100% the point here, Tim, is that they haven't stopped anybody. Uh, they're a team that you look at and you you have to question, can they stop anybody? Um, what, what have they proven? When do they do it? Don't tell me Cal. You know, I mean, when did they go out there and slam the door shut and say, okay, we're, we're going to beat you without defense? They've played well at times and in spurts, but nothing can inspire you to think they're going to go beat that triple option. No. And really, when you look at the Mountain West as, as a whole, I think the conference, Tom, is worse than we thought. San Diego State's struggling this year. That wasn't uh, what would be predicted. Utah State, look, we saw two different teams. When we when when uh, you look at Utah State, they're, they're like very wishy-washy. I don't know. I, I just I look at that conference. Not that I had it stacked up amongst the best, Tom, but I think it took a step back so far. If you really want to look at the first half of the season, I think it's god awful. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just be honest. It is a terrible conference. Uh, I, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be a good conference, but I also think people are a little shocked at how bad they played. How uh, how just mind-numbingly bad some of these games have been. Some of these games have just been almost unwatchable, Tim. Uh, That's a bad situation. Yes. In fact, if you're watching, if you're listening to us and watching Hawaii and San Diego State, I feel bad for you. 10-7 in the fourth quarter in that one. Shall we talk some baseball, Tom? A lot, a lot. Four whole games the last two days. It's been a great day if you're a baseball fan, man. And um, let's get, let's get the, let's get the, Let's get my complaining out of the way first. And I knew I knew I'm going to re- reemphasize something that we talked about before the season started and we we're looking at the postseason. We were joking around like how many teams are going to get in the postseason, you know? We knew it was a joke, but the thing that I really hit the the nail, the hammer on the on the nail with when we were looking at the preseason previews was I said, "Tom, do you realize in these wild card games that they're best of 3?" And there's no shift in home field advantage. So if there is a third game, it would still be played at the same park they played the first two games at. And I get it. You play the regular season. You finish where you finish in the division. You qualify. And if you happen to qualify in a lower seed, five or six, look, you're not getting a home playoff game unless you win that series. I didn't like it then. I really don't like it now. But with that being said, it only really affects one team. So we'll start there. Mets Padre. This series is tied up at one. The Padres had them on the ropes tonight, Tommy, and they let them go. And now the Mets get a game three tomorrow at home. Yeah, listen, I'll tell you the mentality of the New York Met fan going into today. Um, and my Twitter feed was filled with Met fans that are just going, okay, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mets pulled the Mets again. It's over. They're garbage. The ground can't get it done. Um, and Met fans were, were frustrated. They were done. They, they were, you know, it, upset it throwing their hands up tim <laughs> you know throwing their hands up upset freaking out turned into all of a sudden okay we can win this thing right we're we're back in it man we we can win this thing all of a sudden that's what it turned into and you you start to break down you know the advantages that met, the mets had now tomorrow is one of those kind of throw everybody out there type of games i think bassett it gives them a distinct edge but it's one of those throw everybody out there type of games. Um, 
the New York Mets all of a sudden have life and they, they shouldn't have had life. They were dead and buried. And the, the Padres not only let him in, but that what happened late in the game. And I know so many times, Tim, people go, oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, it doesn't oh, who cares, Tim. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Um, yeah, but it does. You know, it matters how the game ends. The Mets just keep kept hitting at the end of the game. That gave them confidence. Look, if they won that game two to one, I don't think they have the same amount of confidence as putting up seven runs and watching all of their big guys hit. That gave them a confidence and a reassuredness of, oh, wow, here we go. Look at this. Look at what we could do. Look at who we could be. I, I, I thought before the series began that the Mets were going to squeak by. I didn't give them out in my playoff prediction. You guys that are part of TomBartonSports.com, I gave you two playoff series. I'm 2-0 right now, right? I took the underdog Phillies. I love Nolan and Wheeler. And I took the Guardians. I did not take the Mets, even though I thought that they would squeak it out because I didn't believe in DeGrom in game two. Well, they won the game that I wasn't sure about. Game three at home, the better pitcher on the mound in Bassett. And now they have life. I think the Mets get by them tomorrow. Bassett Musgrove for the Padres, 4 o'clock ESPN. You saw Buck Showalter go to Diaz early in the game time, went to him in the seventh, 30 pitches. Obviously, he's ready. He'll be available tomorrow, but... Wouldn't it be great, man? Mets are up 2-1, top of the ninth. They bring in, the, the trumpets start playing, they bring him in, and the guy just gets hammered by that Padre batting. Or Wouldn't that be a great way to end the season? Oh, it really would be. <laughs> but the, the worst entrance music in the history of the, the sport is that stupid trumpet, whatever nonsense that ridiculousness is. It's just a, it, let's be honest, it's a bad song. Um, that was overhyped, and it, it was it was a dumb idea to bring the guy onto the field during the season and start celebrating a championship that you did not win, right? I mean, it was a bad situation. And, and I know you're kind of half-choking here, Tim, but I, I think you do believe, hey, you know what? Diaz getting blown up would be great. How about this, though? Why was Diaz in the game tonight, Tim? Right? Why was Diaz still in that game? And they had they had a five run lead. Diaz for some reason is still in the game. This is yeah. I, look. I don't call out Buck Showalter often. This was complete mismanagement. I didn't understand that call at all. He pitched. He and he pitched thirty. He had thirty pitches. So yeah, will that come into play tomorrow night? Maybe. I, I think it could be. Sure. Stay in the National League. You called it. You bet it. The Phillies. They they. Uh, you said this. Look, the, the, the Phillies were funny, right, Tom? Because we talked about in, during the season all the the, miss, the just the issues, the Harper injury. Really, the people left him for dead, and they they managed to stay around until he got back. And you saw in this series they, as they sweep uh, St. Louis in Bush. That you know that was a big thing. And and the Cardinals, I really liked in the heading into the playoffs. And look, it's over. They couldn't hit the ball in these two games. You said it. The pitching staffs lined up the way they should have been. And Philadelphia moves on, Tom. 2 nothing win today. Harper did hit a ding-dong. Yeah, I mean, it's just Nola and Wheeler. And I, I've spoken about this. It's funny because I, I didn't speak about this, Tim, uh, for the last couple of years about my, my <laughs> some people call it love affair, with Woodruff and Burns, right? And my whole point was that if you get to the playoffs and you have to face 
Woodruff and Burns in a three-game series, they're winning that series. And if you get to the playoffs, and they, they never did end, by the way, Peralta on, on the back end of that too. They never did, but Philly's got the same kind of formula. It's not the best teams that win short series. It's the best pitchers. And that's why I liked the Nola-Wheeler combo, especially the way they pitched down the stretch. The way that these two pitched down the stretch was miraculous. I mean, Wheeler was untouchable in his three starts back from an injury. Um, you look at Aaron Nola, what has he done over the last month of the season? He's got like a one-and-a-half ERA. This was the difference here. And you can look at their lineup, and the Phillies, they may not have the most complete lineup, but they got dangerous guys. In the playoffs, I like dangerous guys. Harper's a dangerous guy. Schwarber's a dangerous guy, right? In the middle of that lineup, you have those danger guys. I think the big question with the Phillies was going to be, could they gel as a team? And my answer to that is in a short series, you don't have to gel as a team as a team if you have Wheeler and Nola out there. They didn't crush the ball. They didn't hit the ball even well. They didn't play well as a team. But guess what? Nola pitched well and Wheeler pitched well, and they're moving on. And the reward for the first round win will be Atlanta, the champs, Tom. Hunter win team. Here we go. This would be a good this would be a real nice one too. Um Atlanta's pitching is set up, so we'll see how Philly comes back here as that first game will be Tuesday. Tim, I don't think they want it any other way. Um I think if you're looking at the Philadelphia Phillies and you're saying you get to take on the Braves, they're going good. We see them all year. We know what we're getting from them, and they know what we're, we're you know, bringing to the table as well. I think if you ask starting pitchers around the league, more times than not, the starting pitcher is going to go, yeah, I, I like a team that I know. I know how to attack them. I know how to go about it. Um, you know, I know that they're the champs. I know that they're red hot. They've actually been a better team since the All-Star break than just about everybody in the league, including the Dodgers. I get all that with Atlanta. But if there's a team with a fighting chance – not only because of Wheeler and Noller, but it's also the familiarity factor. I think that you got to look at Philly and say, yeah, they might be worth plus money again. I got them at plus 140 for the series, Tim, uh, in the first round. What are they going to be, plus 160, plus 170? How do you yeah. not take a stab? On the American League side, another winner with Tom Barton Sports Cleveland. 2 nothing sweep of Tampa. Cleveland, 92 wins this year. Really Overshot expectations in that division, as most people, including us, had Chicago winning that, that division. But Cleveland gets it done. They move on. And they had timely hitting. I mean, you know, yesterday was Ramirez. Today they get the, the game winner in a long 15-inning game. Uh, you know, I guess this more so says sets up in the next round because awaiting them would be your Yankees. Look, the, the write-up that I put out there today at TomBartonSports.com, I said, guys, Nobody is respecting this Cleveland Indians team. Nobody. See what I did there? I even called them the Indians, right? I mean, and that's the truth. Like, I was the first person to say, I thought they were going to be awful this year. And as the year went on, I continued to keep saying, our, our good buddy Rob Mish, who writes, you know, for Chicago newspapers, um, he kept asking me, you know, when does Cleveland fall? I'm like, oh, it's coming any minute. <laughs> Rob, it's coming. Rob, it's coming. And finally, little too late for most people's liking, but for my bankroll, it was pretty good. Finally, right about mid-July, late July, I said, you know what? This team's not going away. I'm going to start rolling on them. And I kept finding weak lines and bad situations for the sports books because people just continue to doubt the Indians. 
uh, slash guardians because nobody respects them. I look at this team and I go, they have the components almost for a deep championship. They almost do. They have an ace in Bieber. Yeah, they do. Okay. They have the best closer in the sport. Absolutely. They got good bridge guys, seven, eight innings guys in, uh, you know, Henkis, you saw who stepped up today. Um, uh, you know, Mr. 99 that thinks he's wild thing out there. I mean, they have decent guys. They have a superstar in the middle in Ramirez. Here's the problem. They are missing complementary pieces. And you, you know when we get into the playoffs, Tim, there's always like that Louis Soho type of guy. You know, there's always that guy that comes out of nowhere. So maybe they can get the guy that comes out of nowhere. But generally speaking, if you're attacking their lineup and you want to just pitch around Ramirez, first of all, you pitch around Ramirez, you win games in this series. He won the series uh, with, with that home run in game two, right? Hmm. Uh, so we're in game one. So Ramirez is the only guy outside of that. No one scares me. And then you go two, three, four. Look, Quantrill and McKenzie are okay. Okay. But they're okay. You look at the matchup here against the Yankees, and it may not turn out to be, it turn into fruition here. This might not go, but Tim, the talent level is just disgustingly lopsided to the New York Yankees, right? I mean, you look at Tristan McKendry, uh, McKenzie and, and, Quantro, where would they be on the Yankee staff? Oh, four, five, right? Maybe, maybe both of them would be five. Outside of Jose Ramirez, who's the best player? Stephen Kwan. He'd be batting about eighth or ninth in the Yankees lineup. You know, is it, you know, Jimenez? Yeah, he'd be batting eighth or ninth in the Yankees lineup. Um, Class A and the back end of that bullpen certainly give the Yankees a little problem, a little run for their money. But I just think that in a situation where you're going out there and you're making a bet, with all things being equal, New York Yankees are just so much unbelievably more talented than this team. And I'll tell you what, out of the teams that the Yankees had the opportunity to face, I'm including in Toronto and I am including Seattle, as a Yankee fan, this is the team I wanted. I was afraid of Toronto's young hitters. I was afraid of Seattle and their mojo, especially with Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray going one-two. I was afraid of Tampa because of what Tampa has been historically. The Guardians are the team that I wanted as a Yankee fan. I just hope I don't eat my words. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. The luck of the draw would be Yankee fans, you get Cleveland, and you said you said it best if Ramirez is the guy. Quan, Rosario, Naylor, Gonzalez had the big hit today to win it. Jimenez, Hedges, those those guys. Look, <laughs> the only way Cleveland wins this series, Tom, is they have to small ball it and hope that the pitchers get them to the middle of that bullpen, like you said, and that bullpen just shuts down those Yankee bats. And unfortunately, in a longer series, it's just not going to happen. And I think, in fact, I don't know if Cleveland can win a game in this series. It's best of five in the second round. I think the Yankees can take a three nothing, and that's just based on, like you said, purely a talent evaluation. There, in that, the bats, especially the way the Yankee bats woke up at the end of the season, Tom, coming into the playoffs. Whereas I don't see a lot of offense from Cleveland, and that's going to be a problem. In in a shootout, they can't hang with them. In a small ball situation, I just see the Yankees getting better timely hitting. And, um, again, it will come down to experience in this series as well. If it was close, the Yankees are the more experienced playoff team. 
Oh, Tim, you you know I think that Aaron Boone has done a terrible job as a, the manager of the Yankees anyway. Yeah. But if Aaron Boone gives his pitchers one – Ramirez shouldn't see one pitch this entire series. And he should make sure that they don't give him one pitch. To, they got They have to uh, – we'll go back and we'll say that what they, what they need to do is the Aaron Judge treatment, right, for the last, like, two weeks of the season. He shouldn't get anything to – let Jimenez beat you. Let Stephen Kwan beat you. Right? Let these guys be you. Do not let Jose Ramirez be the guy to beat you. That is the biggest, biggest thing for this game for me. Whatever happens, do not let this guy beat you. And unfortunately, I think the Yankees are going to play some hero ball and probably groove him one or two. And in the other matchup, Seattle via a come from behind a seven run deficit in this one, Tom. They win 10 9. They sweep Toronto in Toronto. So the Mariners, I guess you can call it kind of a Cinderella run, continues. Next up, though, the 106-win division rival, Houston Astros. It's a nice story. Um, you can go out there, Tim, and say, this is the biggest collapse we've ever seen. I asked you that. I texted this to you, and I said, this is the big, biggest collapse we've ever seen in the playoffs. I mean, I think that's a very fair question, Tim. Um, this is one of those spots where you just look at it and you go, how do you emotionally now get up from that? Okay, look at what we've done and now get up to the Astros. And there's always this question that you have to ask when you get into the playoffs. What happens if, right? What happens if? What happens if the Mariners go out there and they lose this series? What do people think about the season, right? Mm -hmm. They go, great year. We're back in the playoffs. Wonderful job. Amazing first round. Everyone cheering. This is great. And you know that. You know you've already done everything that they've asked you. Everything else is kind of icing on the cake. Where if the Houston Nationals lose in this round, it's devastating. Terrible year. What did we do? We wasted our time, right? I mean, that is the, the mentality that you have to really go down and explore. I think that the Mariners are going to be emotionally spent. I don't think they're going to be able to get it up again for this game. I know they've had a lot of magic this year. I just mentioned a lot of that magic. Uh, but I just think they're completely outmatched against Houston. Yeah, Houston, big season. Now they get the extra rest. And, of course, Tom, game one on Monday, it'll be Justin Verlander on the mound. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, you get all excited. You get all high. And you had a good comeback. But overall, your bats were relatively quiet for most of the series. Your bats were relatively quiet for most of the year. Just don't think they have the, the hitting. And now you got to go up against Justin Verlander in game one? I mean, come on. I guess that wraps up the, the, the playoff situation. we got one game tomorrow, Tom, and we'll re reload and go into the next round. But I think, like you said, and regardless tomorrow, I had – the Mets advancing anyways, but even if it's San Diego, you know, winner of that series has to play the Dodgers, who they have. Dodgers have had no issues with either of those teams this year. So we kind of have the teams we thought would be here at this point. Maybe the, the Tampa-Cleveland could have went either way. And I actually like Seattle over Toronto in this series. I didn't expect it to happen this way, but I liked just the way Seattle had been playing at the end of the year and the addition of Castillo we talked about in game one. That's the reason they, they went and spent the what they spent to get him. And that's a big, big puzzle piece for them. It's just, I just don't, like we just said, I just don't see enough other experience around Seattle to win a longer series than the Astros. 
Yeah, look, this is uh, lining up to be almost what we've seen in the NBA recently where, hey, look, the favorites are going to move on. It looks like the favorites are, are in the driver's seat, but no one's upset about it, right? I mean, nobody's really upset about the idea that we're going to get Yankees at, or we could potentially get Yankees Astros, Dodgers Braves, Dodgers Astros, or Dodgers Yankees, right? And nobody's upset about it. That's Tom Barton. It's Tim Unglesby, both here in Las Vegas, here on Heat Wave Sports. When we come back, you know what time it is. Look, big, big NFL slate tomorrow week, number five. We're going to dive in and break these games down. Tom, did you know you're here in Vegas, you're on the West Coast. There's a game in eight hours, man, a game in eight hours. Oh, yeah. It's going to be uh, real interesting for my sleep cycle. Try to wake up to watch the London game <laughs> while while I'm still on a, a type of jet lag, right? I mean, this, this should be really interesting. Hang on tight. We'll be back in a few short minutes with your NFL preview. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Back at it here tonight in Las Vegas, your E-Wave Sports. Every Saturday and Sunday, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, Fox Sports Radio. And Tom, we're now entering week five of the National Football League. Before we get into the games, time to, to pump you up a little bit. Let everybody know about all the great things Tom Barton's doing, including suffering jet lag, coming to Las Vegas, to watch a football game that's going to be in now less than eight. By the time we get off the air, Tom, time to get those quick quick Zs in. The game will literally start in six and a half hours when we go off the air. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tim, let me tell you, you know, TomBortonSports.com, it, it, I don't always just sit back and tell you I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm winning. Um, but I will say, look, I went 2-2 two two in college football today, okay? Completely broke even. Uh, you know, one level three I won, one level three I lost, one level two I won, one level two I lost. Here's the beautiful thing. I cashed both baseball futures tickets that I gave to my clients, right? So it was a profitable day. And that's the thing when you're talking about TomBartonSports.com. I'm not sitting here kind of trying to pump up, oh, don't worry. We haven't won in, you know, we haven't lost in, in uh, 185 days or any nonsense like that. All I'm telling you is that we're consistently producing winners we're consistently giving a profit on a day like today where we go two and two in college football you go okay look there's going to be days like this that, that that's okay but i hit both baseball plays and one of them an underdog so it's a profitable profitable day again at tombartonsports.com tomorrow there's at least three and i'm looking at a fourth play to be on the board tomorrow there's a chance that listen i might go two and two but if I hit my level three plays, Tim, I'm profitable again. And that's TomBartonSports.com. If you sign up with TomBartonSports.com, you're going to be profitable. You're going to pull in a profit in sports betting. That's what I'm telling you. You can go back and look month by month, year by year, season by season, and do all of the research on TomBartonSports.com. And what you're going to do is consistently find, wow, what this guy does is pull in a profit. I consistently pull in profit. That's why I give you guys 30 days of service. Because over 30 days, you're going to make money with TomBartonSports.com. And my favorite thing, Tom, wagering weeks locked and loaded for my ride home tonight. Go to your Apple pod. I get mine on Apple. Uh, 
and this week's obviously episode is same thing we're going to be talking about. It's just a couple of days later, though. Week five preview, Tom, a lot of injuries this week. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's all injuries this week. Even the underground injuries that people aren't necessarily paying ma- major attention to, the offensive line injuries. But but what is weird about this week, it's not that guys are out. It's that we don't know if they're out. You know, there's still an opportunity. Right now, we are talking, and like you said, you know, their game, their game's going off in six and a half, seven hours. We're still sitting here 12 hours, 11 hours away from kickoff. We don't know if guys like Isaiah McKenzie are even going to play, right? We have no idea. Don't think that he's just, you know, this random player. We still don't know if Xavier Howard is going to play. Top five cornerback in the league. We don't know about some key injuries in some key games that maybe won't impact your fantasy team. So you overlook them, but they're massively impactful injuries. And that's something to pay attention to. Look, even on on Monday night, we don't know if Juju is going to play. And you could say, ah, you know what, the Chiefs could be fine without him. They could be, but he's still an injury worth mentioning. So is Isaiah McKenzie. So are our offensive linemen around the league that are banged up. Well, running backs around the league. We didn't know Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to play until about two hours before the game time. So this week, it's all about injuries. And then we could go into the big injuries, which I'm sure we'll get get to, where Teddy Covers comes into play. And we still don't know about Jameis Winston, Michael Thomas, or Alva Kamara. Well, let's look at this card for week five. First, just your quick thoughts on, on the absolute atrocity of a football game that was played Thursday night in Denver. That might have set the NFL back two decades with that play, Tom. It, it was absolute garbage. And I love a defensive game, Tim. You used to watch those Pittsburgh Ravens 6-3, 9-6 type of games. And guess what? They were exciting. They were fun games. This was not. This wasn't a a defensive execution clinic. This wasn't sacks galore that were going, oh, man, that was a great play. This wasn't, you know, deflected balls, great coverage, good running game. No, this was sloppy offense, terrible play calling, bad coaches on the sidelines. That's what this was. And you said, you know, it set it back. Forget about the score, which people are just, oh, so upset about the score. It's how you got there. I could watch a really exciting 9-6 game in, in football, right? I could do it. Listen, that Iowa-Illinois game today was kind of exciting, right? You could watch those games. This wasn't it. This was just pure execution that was pathetically executed with bad coaching. I, I don't care that the Colts got a W. Nobody won this game, including the viewers. No. Let's start it off, Tom. 6.30 a.m. here on the West Coast, New York at Green Bay, according to home and away, we all know this one's back over in London. Tommy, the Packers are an eight-point favorite in this one. It looks like Daniel Jones is cleared to go. Correct, yes? Looks like Daniel Jones is going to go, but how effective? Tim? How effective is a guy going to be that his number one attribute in his game is his legs? I mean, that, that's that's all Daniel Jones is. Daniel Jones is still not out of game in the NFL that I would point to and say, that was a good passing game. You know, he's got, he's had games in the NFL that you point to and you say, oh, well, you know what? He created things with his legs. He's able to get out in space. He hasn't had that arm game yet. And you take away his legs and that's what his injury is here. I, I am concerned. Shepard's out also. So you, you take away not only his legs, but you take away his security blanket and his best receiver. 
That's also a problem. The Giants, they've allowed 5.7 yards per, per play. That ranks 19th in the league. And 5.1 yards per rush attempt, that ranks 26th in the league. They can't stop anybody. And defensively, they've sacked the opposing quarterbacks only 2.3 times. That's 15th in the league. That includes five sacks by Justin Fields to kind of inflate that. By the way, London favorites are 10-0-1 straight up. So I expect Green Bay to win. That's not involving Jaguars. Uh, I expect Green Bay to win. But look, you look at the Green Bay Packers and you go, they were supposed to dominate the Patriots last week. Now, me and you didn't think so when we went against it in the tournament. It came out with a nice W there. They were supposed to do a lot of things. Aaron Rodgers doesn't look good. He hasn't looked good all year. You can blame the lack of offensive line. You can blame his young receivers, whatever you want to blame. He doesn't look good. The offense doesn't look good. But he can still run the ball, and the Giants are hurt in the middle. Leonard Williams is out, and you just heard the rushing numbers, 26 in the league, run against. If you're running the ball and you're playing good defense, Tim, that tends to lean to close games. That ton tends to lean to games where you don't want to lay seven and a half, eight, eight and a half points, which the number is inflated to now. I think that's the, the game plan is you, you pound the ball with Jones, you pound the ball with Dylan. His receivers have bad hands, whatever you want to call it, bad passing aspect of it. But if they pound the ball, I'm not sure what the Giants can do other than run Shaq tomorrow, right, Tom? No Tony, no Galladay, no Robinson. And you said it, Jones, he's banged, his ankle's banged up anyway, so there go his legs. I'm not really sure what they can do to, to score other than hand the ball off. So the Packers should win this game, Tom, but I'm with you. I don't know if I can lay the eight, but they should win. No, and that's the thing. You want to put them in a survivor pool, Tim? Go ahead. You feel comfortable putting them in your survivor pool. Take Green Bay all day. That's okay. They should win this game. But we've also seen Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers struggle on the road. This is really on the road. I mean, this is London on the road. And the Giants, for all their deficiencies, they still haven't scored more than 20 points. They have problems. They're banged up. All their deficiencies, they play tight, right? I mean, they're, they're just that scrappy team that kind of annoys you. And guess what? That's what New England Patriots were, and they annoyed the Green Bay Packers last week, and they barely lost. They took them to OT. Pittsburgh at Buffalo last week. Steelers screwed us, Tom, badly against in that loss to the Jets. What we did get out of it was – Get Kenny Pickett, who is the official starting quarterback for the Steelers, at least for week two. I assume this will be the rest of the way out. It's the way to go. Both you and I agree with that. Buffalo, look, it's Buffalo, and the line is very reflective of that, Tom. The Bills, a 14-point favorite on their home field. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you look at this game, and the line's 14, and I, I, I hate laying double digits. But if there's any team to do it, it might be this Buffalo Bills team in this spot. Um, Pickett's going to make his first start. It's actually the first, only the 19th quarterback to make his first start against the Bills, going back to Chad Henney in 2009. In the last five home games, the Bills are 4-0-1. And here's what you have to think. We used to talk about this when we talked about Tom Brady when he was on the Patriots. We hate laying double digits. And every year we looked at double-digit statistics and how teams didn't cover double digits. But there was one team that used to buck that trend all the time, and the Patriots and Tom Brady used to be very, very good at defending that that double-digit number, right? They used to cover all the time. So I used to say, look, I'll take teams against double digits, but I won't go against the Patriots. Well, the Bills are starting to become that team, Tim. Before last week, the Bills had won 24 consecutive games in a row by double digits, or they lost outright, okay? 
They had 28 in regular season that they had won. 28 games in a row that they won by double digits. When they beat you, they usually beat you up pretty good. So the 14 starts to seem smaller when you give those kind of statistics. And you know that Kenny Pickett's starting a brand new game. Nashi Harris can't seem to get out of his own way. The Pittsburgh defense is dealing with some injuries. It all adds up to, yeah, I can see Buffalo kind of running wild here. What, what Steeler fans are banking on, right, Tom, is the way Pickett played in, in relief. But he wasn't spectacular. He had a lot of picks and cost him the game, essentially. And not He didn't essentially cost them the game, but his play in the second half, yes, it, it's, it lit the fire to get them the lead, but it also cost them at the end because of his play. Yeah, he was for, trying to force things. And, and I expect that here more. I expect Pickett to be the playmaker. There's a reason why they went with Mitch Trubinsky just four weeks ago. And it, the reason was he's not ready. Well, why aren't you ready? You have all the physical skills. Yet you're not ready because you're going to force things. You're going to make mistakes. Making mistakes against this Bills defense will lead to just utter destruction. You, you look at Buffalo um, and what they do well. You know Allen's going to have a good game. But Singletary all of a sudden is becoming got kind of that guy. You can run on Buffalo. That way, I mean on Pittsburgh, which is a weird thing to say, but you can run on them. I think we also have to mention the T.J. Watt factor here, Tim, where the this Pittsburgh Steelers team is now 0-7 without Watt in the lineup. They average three and a half sacks per game with him in there, one and a half sacks per game with him, without. They are just a completely different animal when they're missing the best player, the best defensive player in the league. NFC North, black and blue matchup, Tom. Chicago at Minnesota. The Vikings tomorrow, seven and a half point favorite over your boys. Uh, you know, oh boy, this, this one has all the makings of a Bears getting just annihilated, doesn't it? Right? I mean, I could sit here and rattle off why the Bears will not be competitive tomorrow. The Vikings, uh, you know, they own the Bears. The last five meetings, they're four and one against the spread. The Vikings absolutely own them. Justin Fields just had his best game of the season, still only passed for 174 yards, right? Fields was sacked six times last week. The Bears gave up 262 yards on the ground alone. The Bears should get humiliated in this game. But wait a minute. Tim, take the jerseys off of these guys, and let me give you this. The Minnesota Vikings played a game in London, an emotional game in London. They then didn't get any rest. They flew back out Monday, missed Sunday's practice, or missed Sunday after Sunday's game. They missed Monday's practice, came home on Tuesday. Coach gave them off on Tuesday. So they missed Monday and Tuesday in order to play the Bears. So their body clocks are different. I talked about uh, me sleeping weirdly. Their body clocks are different from going to London. They lose two practice days. They're giving more than a touchdown against a division rival. And that division rival, maybe they haven't looked good, but what they have done is beat teams up physically. This is a spot here, Tim, where if you just didn't watch the Bears games and you said, man, from a pure travel standpoint, from a pure, your body's got to be feeling it standpoint, the Vikings should be completely out of sorts. It wouldn't shock me at all to see the Vikings come out really lethargic, have a really rough game, you know, one of those games where you just go, I don't know what happened. And I, it reminds me a lot 
of what the Miami Dolphins did last Thursday, right? Miami looked out of sorts. Miami didn't look good. Uh, Miami just looked like they almost didn't want to be there. Well, they played 90 plays and in 95-degree weather just the Sunday before against Buffalo, that, that huge win. So you look at this and you go, yeah, all the components are there for the Bears to get squashed. You've got to look at the outside factors. And the outside factors here say that this is going to be a very tired, very out of sorts, very out of their element type of Vikings team. Tom from the Heat Wave text line, Jose V chimes in. Tell Tommy the Bears are going to get smacked tomorrow. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the problem with Jose V and, and that thinking. <laughs> I've heard that for four games and the Bears are two and two. What, what do you, you know, I think, and the thing with the Bears, look, the defense has been great. There's no doubt about it. Offensively, though, kind of, you kind of know what the game plan is going to be, right, Tom? We're going to hand off to Khalil. He's going to get us some chunks of yards, and we're going to make, uh, when we can score, we're going to score however we do it, because it's not because Justin Fields is throwing the ball. They're not, are they, so are they, is that the, is that the game plan there, that they're not, they're a run-based team only? Because up until last week, he had under 10 completions. He finally got over that mark, but it's not like they're just letting him sling it around. And he's got, in my mind, in your mind, he's got offensive weapons there. Cole Komet, Mooney, who finally, I think you saw maybe the beginning of Mooney starting to break out last week. But why don't they just let this kid go, man? You know, I can't answer that. What I will say is that I'm surprised they haven't opened it up for him. But you can't really argue with the, with the philosophy, can you, Tim? I mean, can we seriously sit here and argue with the Bears when they're sitting here at 2-2? Two and two? They've beaten San Francisco. I don't care that it was rain. It's a double. Against Green Bay, that score looks a lot more lopsided. Justin Fields did score a touchdown there, and the Bears would have been within three points in the fourth quarter. They go out there, they beat a Houston team. That they All they did was run the ball. They played within the Giants, and I, I think they beat the Giants if there's not a bad kick on that or a bad kick return. Remember, he muffed the punt. So with two minutes to go, Bears would have had the ch- a chance to come down the field, and they couldn't stop the run. Herbert, you know, uh, had, had a pretty decent game. So it's hard to say, okay, well, we're going to let Field open it up when the Chicago Bears have been proving everyone wrong. They're 2-2. Two and two. I know it's a sloppy 2-2, two and two, but they're 2-2. Two and two. They gave Green Bay in Green Bay all they could handle. If the refs haven't blown a call, that game is a, a one-score game. They gave the Giants, who you might not believe in, but the first-place Giants, or, or uh, you know, if it wasn't for Philly, they are a playoff giant team on the road. They gave them within a one-score. So, you know, now you go on and you take on Minnesota, a team that you have known, a team that you know that you can run on. Minnesota has the ability – uh, to throw on you, but their defense, you could run on them. And again, Bears keep things close, man. I, I I want Fields to open it up. I want to see what this kid has. I do. But he can't get down on the Bears because the successes are there. Hour one in the books. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Mateo with you here. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Stay tuned. Hour two on the way, of course. More NFL Week 5 previews. Hang in there. We'll be right back after these few short messages. Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. 
Final hour, U.S. Sports Saturday night in Las Vegas. Fox Sports Radio. Game time now. Seven. Seven and a half hours away from kickoff in London with probably the worst three and one team in the NFL and the Giants and the Packers. And Tom, when you you know, you look at these contests and, and you start to see separation right around what between weeks five and seven, right, Tom, you have to make good on those weeks and just kind of grind your way through here to the rest of the regular season. Yeah, basically. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you start to, you know, the, the Giants are a team that, that brings up this question. I want to get your opinion on this because if you're talking about your contest, you talk about, uh, you know, win-loss record with Andy Gabbers, you're talking about win-loss record with, with sports teams, whatever it might be. How much do you believe in the Bill Parcells credo of you are what your record is? Do you believe that that is just a blanket statement and we should just kind of bow to that? Or can you be a little bit better or worse than your record? Yeah, I think you can be better or worse. It's week by week. It's just, it really is. Especially in, at this level of play, right, Tom? It's bad as... We expect Houston to be. They've been somewhat competitive in this league so far. I mean, they almost came back and beat L.A. last week. So, yeah, I think the Parcells back then maybe, but nowadays you can definitely be a little bit better or worse than what you what you seem to be. And we're going to talk about one of those teams is probably worse than they should be record-wise here in a second. But I, I'm with you on that. I think they can be definitely better or worse than the record states. Yeah, you know, I say that because it, when, when we're trying to make money and we're trying to bet on sports, Tim, don't you have to have that feeling that while this team might be 3-1, and one, this is the time where they kind of fail? Or while this team might be, you know, a one-win team, I think that this is where they step up. I think we have to flow with that. And records to me, when you're betting on sports and when you're looking at the future, you don't even if you're not putting money on it, if you're looking at the future of what – your team or what your your division or your conference will be, it's not only just the record. I think you do have to really take a, a, an account of how these teams are played. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at one of these matchups. I think really what do we say about both teams two and two here, but it's Atlanta at Tampa tomorrow morning. Tom, the Bucks they're going to be a 10-point favorite at home. Brady having, I wouldn't say, you know, if you go by what we've seen last, we just saw Patrick Mahomes light up the Bucks secondary, and we saw Atlanta somehow find a way to beat Cleveland on their home field. Moving forward a, a week. Atlanta's basic offense, right, Tom, has been Cordell Patterson. He is out. And Tom Brady's getting all his receivers healthy now. Both two teams are two and two. I think this is a perfect example of a little bit better or worse than what your record states. That's exactly where I was hoping you were going to go with when we were looking at the games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the Bucks and, and you look at the Falcons. There's a reason this line opened up at seven and a half and it's 10. It was 10 at MGM today. There's a reason why the Bucks, uh, you know, are, are this massive favorite and everybody's jumping all on top of them even the Falcons being 4-0 against the spread. It's because, like you said, Cordell Patterson is out. The receivers for Brady are getting healthy. I think we all watched Tom Brady look like the Tom Brady of old last week, in, even in a loss. And if there's a, a 
team that I'm going, I feel fine about them bouncing back. Well, it's the defensive unit of the Tampa Bay Bucks, led by guys like White and David and Vita Vea. This is a defense that got embarrassed last week. I think they're going to be drooling to knock out guys like Algier, Drake London. By the way, Kyle Pitts is out of this game also for the Atlanta Falcons. I think that this is one of those absolute separation kind of games for the Tampa Bay Bucks. The type of games where they're not going to win, but they want to prove a point to the league. I mean, that's what you look at. And over the last seven times these guys have met up, uh, the Bucks are five and two against the spread. Those are all with big inflated lines as well. Tom Brady off of a loss, forty-two and seventeen over his last fifty-nine games. He doesn't usually lose two in a row. And you watch the struggles of the Bucks last week. They couldn't run the ball. The first team since nineteen ninety-one that rushed the ball for three yards or less still scored thirty points. Okay, they cannot. They could not run the ball last week. Now you come in Atlanta. Atlanta's defense. Has had surprising play in the back end, but you can run on this team. Everything is lining up here for the Buccaneers to absolutely dominate over Atlanta. But the Atlanta Falcons apologists will say, hey, we're 1-0 against the spread. Mariota creates things, and we might be a thorn in your side. Yeah, I like Tampa tomorrow, Tom. You can present the case on for both sides. It's easy, right? But when you look at Atlanta, I'm, I'm just not a believer in their record. Uh, granted, they've, they've played well at times. I'm just not a believer in Marcus Mariota as a starting quarterback. And, you know, part of me, Tommy, wasn't a believer that Cordell Patterson was a starting running back in the NFL. And that's not even on the table for tomorrow, like you said. Uh, Pitts is out. You mentioned that. And I just think, look, Tampa's getting healthy at the right time on both sides of the ball. And they, they were embarrassed, right? They scored 30 points and embarrassed. I, th- I think this Tim is no doubter. Tim Tom Brady's 9-0 in his career against the Atlanta Falcons. 26 touchdowns to three interceptions against the Falcons. And he's got 117.4 passer rating against Atlanta. That's the best passer rating that Brady has against any team. He absolutely owns this team. It's a get healthy game, Tom. And I mean, that's figuratively and, of course, literally. Get healthy. AFC East, Dolphins and the Jets, Tom. Dolphins a three-and-a-half point favorite on the road, so no Tua. What is the deal with the injuries here? This is a a tough one to look at for Dolphins fans. Hill, Waddle all banged up, or do we know if they're even a go? You know, I've stopped analyzing this game a long time ago, Tim. I've stopped analyzing this game the minute it came out because there's no analyzing that needs to be done. We got Teddy covers, baby. (laughs) That's it. That's all you need. I don't need Hill. I don't need Waddle. You can have Xavier Howard on the bench. None of it matters because you got Teddy covers. I'm being funny, but not really. Look, Teddy covers Teddy Bridgewater, the starting quarterback now for the Miami Dolphins, jumping in for two a spot. He has historically been, let me explain this very slowly, the best quarterback against the spread of all time. That's right. Teddy Bridgewater covers basically two of every three games. He's got a 66.6 career cover rate. He's 42-21 and 21 against the spread lifetime. That's unbelievable. On the road, he's even better. 
So forget about MetLife Stadium. Teddy Bridgewater is 24-6 and six against the spread on the road for his career. That's 80% cover rate, Tim. As a matter of fact, Teddy Bridgewater wins outright. He's 33-30 and 30 in his 63 starts. That's something Justin Herbert can't say. He's got a winning record. So while I am being funny, I, I kind of am not. Teddy Bridgewater just makes this offense go. Now, I, I actually was talking to somebody at the sportsbook. Um, he saw me recording my, my free play, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? I kind of like Miami, but I'm not sure about the quarterback. Can you talk to me? I sat and talked to him about 15 minutes, and, you know, I, he walked away, and, and I basically said, you know, it, look, it's just Teddy Bridgewater. Like, it, you know, he's just getting disrespected. He walked away, and one of the last things he said to me, he goes, I kind of like him better than Tua. I don't like him better than Tua, but certain guys just know how to win against the spread, right? Certain numbers are going to be skewed. The Miami Dolphins were a team that people were talking about a Super Bowl run like two weeks ago. Then they lose to Tua, which obviously hurts, but they lose to the Bengals. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. They played, they were on the field for 90 plays, 90 plays in 95 degree temperatures that everybody was saying it was one of the most ridiculously hot games they've ever played in. Just four days before flying to Cincinnati and losing to the Bengals. Now they have time to rest up. They have time to kind of get their feet wet. They're taking on Wilson, who, yeah, he had a good fourth quarter, but he's still Zach Wilson. And Miami has absolutely owned the New York Jets, winning eight of the last nine or covering in eight of the last nine games. The Dolphins' defense that everybody's looking at, and going, well, you know what? They didn't look that great against Burrow. The Dolphins' defense have faced Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Joe Burrow. Now they get Zach Wilson. There's not a lot of analysis needed for me here. You go Dolphins or you don't do anything with this game. If you want to pull off because you go Howard's banged up and Waddle's not 100%, that's fine. But don't base it on Teddy Bridgewater. I know a lot of people are doing that. Well, you know what? Backup quarterback. He's not your average backup quarterback, Tim. I would argue that he's the best backup quarterback in the league. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good argument. I guess the next guy you could say who would be in the running but never – statistically like Bridgewater but he's a starter now in Seattle Geno Smith Tom two and two right now for the Hawks at the Saints tomorrow the Saints are one and three and the Saints a five and a half point favorite at home so Geno Smith longtime backup he gets the nod in Seattle this year and he's out playing his former mate in Russell Wilson this year it is amazing what Geno Smith has been doing there's nothing more than just pure 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 success that this guy has had right now. You can talk about, well, he's got a running game. He's got this. He's got that. He hasn't played a great opponent. I don't care. The numbers sometimes are the numbers, Tim. And the numbers with Geno Smith are absolutely just the numbers with Geno Smith. Geno Smith at this point right now leads the NFL in completion percentage. Right now, he's fifth in yards per attempt. He's sixth overall in QBR. He's on base for 4,407 yards, 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions. I will go as far as to say Geno Smith is not that far off of a pace of an MVP candidate. Yeah, Geno Smith. And his team is two and two. So he's in there. This is the kind of team, this is the kind of offense that Pete Carroll wanted for years. This is what he wanted. He's gone to Tyler Lockett over and over again. He's got Metcalf making huge plays. Rashad Penny finally ran like we remember him last year for 150-plus yards. They got Walker behind him. I mean, Seattle's playing with some kind of energy that we just don't understand. The thing is, is that 
going on the road and facing New Orleans and this New Orleans defense, that's a problem. Lattimore is a lockdown. This Saints defense is a top five defense in the NFL. They also, the Saints, are sitting here going, who are we getting back? You can't bet this game until you know. But we don't know. Is James Winston coming back for this game, Tim? Is Michael Thomas coming back? Is Alvin Kamara coming back? Because if James Winston, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara come back and healthy, I think the Saints minus five, minus five and a half is a gift. But if Winston, Michael Thomas, and Kamara, and I know Andy Dalton played well, but if those three are missing in this game, is, is it the Seahawks the gift? Right? I mean, you could say it both ways. I don't know if they're starting. And I don't know, even if they do start, how effective they'll be. One thing that we do know is that Geno Smith is playing really well. And you can argue, even with a healthy James Winston, you have the best quarterback in the game. Yeah, as of just a few hours ago, Thomas out, Winston doubtful. So changes the dramatics of it a lot. I would say, I would say the Saints win if those guys play. And, you know... Dalton played well last week, but uh, you can't – look, he's on the, the back end of his career there. Uh, Landry's banged up as well. Like you said with Kamara, he's – question mark how good he's going to be if he's in there. I, I, I think you got to take the points tomorrow with a team that has uh, the hotter quarterback right now. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, it really does. I, I can't argue. I can't argue against Geno Smith. I just worry about the road tilt. The road tilt is something that uh, – has not always been the kindest to Seattle over the course of the years. Or you could say, well, maybe that was just a product of Russell Wilson, who seemingly can't cook. Yeah. Nice AFC-NFC matchup here in Foxborough. The Lions head to Boston to take on the Patriots. Tom, the Pats and Belichick, three-and-a-half-point favorites. It's time to get a win back here. Yeah, I, I think the Patriots are in a spot where they're, they're also a team that's coming together the way that their coach wants, even though the rest of us don't agree with it. Um, you, you know, you look at, at what they do, and it's boring football. It's, in a lot of people's minds, bad football. It's not what they like. But they're doing what they can do. They're, they're on their third-string quarterback, who actually looked pretty good last week, right? 10 of 15 with a touchdown, 99 yards. And now they take aim at a Detroit defense. They're allowing 35.3 points per game. That's the worst in the league. Okay. You go back to Damian Harris, Ramon Stevenson, 32 rushing attempts, and they absolutely ran all over a Green Bay defense that was supposed to be good at stopping the run. The Lions, no such luck. The Lions defense um, has allowed the second most yards per play at 6.5. Okay. 35% of the rushing plays against the Detroit Lions have resulted in first down or touchdowns. That's unbelievable. And Damian Harris scored a touchdown 17 of his last 20 games. Now, the Lions can score. We know that, okay? They actually lead the NFL in yards per play at 6.5, ironically. Jared Goff has faced pressure on only 14% of his dropbacks. That's in the top five lowest in the league. Running backs are averaging 4.5 yards per game. Their offensive line is playing fantastic. And that is a big matchup nightmare here. If you can't get to them, the Lions are going to score points. They are. The Lions are going to put up some points here. But we watched last week with a boring offense, and we all don't agree with Bill Belichick. We don't like what he's doing, and nobody seems to understand what Bill's doing. Crazy old Bill. Well, they almost beat the Packers, and they put up some points against the Packers in that game. 
by running the ball, running the ball heavy. I expect the same exact approach here. And we start to look at this, these two teams, and you go, you know, I think the Patriots kind of want it more too. A lot of those guys on that staff, including Matt Patricia, have an axe to grind against the Lions organization. Yeah, I like New England tomorrow. You know, as much as Detroit's been fun to watch offensively, they're, they're just this porous, porous defense gives the teams the ability to score. And I think when you look at New England this year, and yes, I know Bailey Zapp is the quarterback tomorrow, but it's a system, and you just said it. Break it down. Run Stevenson. Run Harris. Dictate the style of this game. And, and you know, you look at their schedule. They're one in three, the Patriots are. We call week one, they never play well in Miami. A tough win at Pittsburgh in week two. Even the Ravens game, which saw them come back in that game and stay in it with Baltimore in week three. And then last week, you said it as well, a close game with Green Bay. I'm not saying that all those teams, Tom, don't have issues early in the season, but it's not an affinity of what's the better team was. They just weren't the better team in those games that they that they lost. And they were, I think they're a better team than Pittsburgh right now, so that kind of stay, stays where it is. I think they're better than Detroit. I think they're better defensively, and I think that's what's enough to get them a home win tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the the thinking is is a hundred percent on point. Um, I think everyone's a little caught up in the Lions anyway. I, you know, to me, everyone's a little overly caught up in a Lions team that you look at and you go, you know, they're good, but they have some holes, right? I mean, they're they're not this end all be all team to me. And I think that people are kind of making them out to be that that kind of, oh, yeah, you know what? They're fun. They're exciting. Yeah, they are fun. Yeah, they are exciting. Yeah, you know what? Lions are going to score some points. But, man, that defense, I just can't get around how bad that defense is. Chargers at the Browns tomorrow, both teams 2-2 two and two for Cleveland. A, just a terrible loss at Atlanta last week. I think what we've seen in the offense is we everybody was worried about, well, can Jacoby Brissett hold this down until Watson gets back? It's not Jacoby Brissett, Tom. It's let's hand the ball off to Chubb and let him run for 100 every week. It's kind of been the offensive game plan there for the Chargers. Look, Herbert's banged up. He's healthier, but he's banged up, and you can see he's not 100%. We know that. Eckler kind of broke out of that, that little rut he was in last week, Tom, in that win over Houston. So when you look at this game, what does it tell you? Well, opened at three it's down to one and a half now but the chargers are the road favorites going to cleveland no keenan allen also for san diego i think a big key here is going to be miles garrett and, and maybe jadavian Clowney. and everyone's talking about you know the cleveland running game for good reason look nick chubb is is actually right there with jamal charles for the nfl's highest career yards per carry leader um so yeah it's going to be a running game running game running game from the charter from the cleveland side but the Chargers side is the interesting stuff, Tim. They can't run, right? I mean, they don't even try to run on, on sometimes. But Miles Garrett and Clowney being out, that means attack the run. This is also a Cleveland defense that just let the Falcons, yeah, the Falcons run for 200 yards on them and two touchdowns. If the Chargers want to win this game, they're going to they're gonna have to run the ball. They're going to have to run the ball effectively, and they're going to have to run the ball often. Here's the thing. It just goes against the Chargers' DNA to run the ball, right? They don't like to run the ball. They don't want to run the ball. This is not a team that feels like the power game is even in their repertoire. But what Cleveland has told us is that you can run it against us, but we're going to try to shut down that pass. This is strength against strength uh, and, and weakness against strength. You've got to use that. You have to use that to your advantage. I don't know 
if the Chargers on the road have the ability to switch their offensive mindset away from take the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands and when they take the ball away from the throwing game and pound the ball. Because if they do that, I think they win the game. I don't know if they're going to be disciplined enough to do that, though, Tim. Yeah, I don't like it sets up well. If you're a Charger fan, this is just not – look, the road, the road team shouldn't be favored in this game. And it, I know a lot of it's – the initial line, right, Tom, was the three. Well, Cleveland, horrible last week. Looked like the Chargers were coming out of that little mini slump they had. And then with Allen being officially out and then the announcement of, like you said, Garrett's going to play, Clowney's going to play, start seeing the money come back the other way. I, I think even with Herbert was 100% healthy, Tom, this is one of those games where you're heading into East Coast road game. I don't know. I don't I don't like it. Obviously, I'd like to see the Chargers win this game. I just don't like it. And uh, it would be hard for me to bet this game. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that I think so many people are very reactionary here, Tim. Jumping, oh man, are you kidding me? I'm jumping all over, all over the uh, the, the Chargers. And I think that there's going to be quite a few people a little upset out there. We used to have a, we used to save a game back in the day, Tom, if you remember it, the Toilet Bowl game of the week. And I think this one might be it, Tennessee at Washington Week five matchup, Tennessee two and two after that win last week. Over even though they had to hang on for dear life to get the win, and Washington one and three. Carson Wentz looked great in week one, has not so much three games. In fact, Ron Rivera, Tommy might be on that proverbial hot seat coming into this game. And what do we get? Basically, it's a, I see a pick them in some place. I see Tennessee minus one, one and a half. What do you think about this game? Yeah, look, Ron Rivera's got to be looking over his shoulder. Carson Wentz has to be looking over his shoulder. Remember, they have Sam Howell right, right behind him. Last week against the Cowboys, and the Cowboys are a very good defense, but last week against the Cowboys, Carson Wentz, two interceptions. He finished with a 56 passer rating. Tim, a 56 passer rating is what he finished with. And Washington, there's a lot going against them here. One and three against the spread. They're three, eight, and one the last 12 games after an against spread loss, so they usually lose two in a row. Uh, Washington is scoring on less than 25% of their offensive drives. That's 31st in the NFL. All of this is bad. Here's the thing, though. Last week, they decided we are going to stop the Dallas Cowboys running game. And they did. They shut down Pollard. They shut down Elliott. And they completely and utterly suffocated this, this offensive running game for the Dallas Cowboys, which is a good offensive running game. So you come in and you look at Derrick Henry, who was, uh, you know, looking good the last two weeks, and you go, if they decide to shut that down, the lack of the Titans passing game concerns me. Traylon Burks is now out. He was their only stretch weapon. I mean, you know, you got Robert Woods, but are, are, you, are we really concerned about that? So if they decide to have the same exact mentality, I went back and watched that tape, and Washington's defense looked good against the, the Cowboys pass rush, or against the Cowboys uh, rushing game. If they decide to absolutely shut down Derrick Henry, and why would you not do exactly that? If they decide to just shut down Derrick Henry and dare the Titans to pass, can the Titans pass? We're talking about Ron Rivera looking over his shoulder. We're talking about Carson Wentz looking over his shoulder. How about Ryan Tannehill looking at Malik Willis sitting on the bench? Because he's got to have some kind of passing game, and we have not seen it, and now he just lost a key weapon in Traylon Burks. And you know the game plan for Rivera, who's a defensive coach, is that, look, we got to stop Henry. Easier said than done sometimes, right, Tom? And I think last week 
that was that was the Derrick Henry we've been looking for. Is it just the momentum train begins, and if they can't stop him, forget about it. The game's over. The other side of it, we we've we, you just said it. Wentz has been absolute crap. Gibson terrible, right? So really, the offensive options Washington are, are few to none, and that's the problem. Is that if Tennessee gets out two scores on them, it's, I don't see them coming back from that. No, and, and that is the thing. It, it, you don't even need two scores, Tim. Yeah, I mean, if Tennessee scores first in this game, it might be over. I mean, it really, really might. Um, I know Tennessee's defense isn't what, what it once was. A lot of that has to do with Landry being down. But yeah, I don't see that. Uh, I don't see them them playing that role. I'm just. I have a hard time backing a team that has absolutely no passing game the way that the Titans do. AFC South, Houston at Jacksonville. This one opened to minus three. It is now minus seven. Tom, the Jags, two and two. Houston, zero, three, and one. Davis Mills looked great in the game, and he's looked very bad in the other ones. And Lawrence, I like I like Trevor a lot. You've always liked Trevor. I like Jacksonville, though. This one, I don't really have any other handicap in it. That I just think better team, better quarterback, better coach, home, line moved. Give me Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at this game and just kind of say to yourself, do you believe in the Jaguars or do you not? Because if you don't believe in the Jaguars, if you think the Jaguars are still the old team of the old Jacksonville Jaguars, you're looking at this game and you're going, I can't lay a touchdown in a division game. That's insane. That's crazy. If you believe in the Jaguars like me and you do, a touchdown is, is not nearly enough for a team that, look, they could play again with anybody in the league. They had five turnovers and still were within a touchdown of the only undefeated team in, in, in the league last week, right? Um, I think Lawrence has a big game. I think James Robinson has an absolutely huge game tomorrow. You can run all over this Houston team. The running game or the running defense of this Houston uh, team is just pathetic. I think Robinson absolutely leads the way. Lawrence has a couple of touchdowns. This has blowout, not win, but blowout written all over it for me. I do concern myself a little bit with the idea that Jacksonville got their first test last week. And now they have to kind of reestablish themselves, and they're still a young team. But I believe enough in Peterson to get that done. Yeah, Peterson's been a much-needed shot in the arm for not only the Jaguar organization, but you can see it kind of in Trevor Lawrence as well. And really, Tom, when you look at the, the season, week one, that was a win they gave away to Washington. They looked awesome in week two in a shutout win over the Colts, still the only shutout so far this year. Week three, crushed L.A. on the road, and then last week you said it, uh, turnover city, right? They, they were actually up two scores in this game, Tom, and, and the turnovers hurt them. But 28 or 22 points, 24 points, 38-21, now they're playing a Houston defense. I, I think they're good for at least 28 tomorrow. Yeah, it's, uh, this, this, is, this could be you know, one of those Jacksonville is, is on the map and pay attention to us type of games. That takes care of the morning matchups. Move on into the afternoon, Tom. San Francisco, 2-2. Two and two. What is the last thing we saw? Impressive win over the Rams. They're now at Carolina, 1-3. And, and I told you this earlier. I told you this Sunday. Well, actually, let me take that back. I said this two weeks ago. I started it. I reaffirmed it last Sunday. And then earlier this week, I was like, God, Baker, Baker Mayfield just, just absolutely sucks right now. And... What do you think? You know, I, nobody expected the Panthers to be this bad, I think, at this point. And it's worse than the 1-3 record. They're probably the worst 1-3 team 
right there with Houston as the worst team in the NFL, seven-point dog at home. Yeah, look, <laughs> the Panthers are 3-15 and against the spread the last 18 games. That's Matt Rule, right? The Panthers yeah. at home, they're 7-20-1 last 28 games against the spread. That's Matt Rule. And Matt Rule's got to be looking over his shoulder, and I said this to you. Uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, he's got more batted balls than any other quarterback. He's a short guy. Matt Rule's going to be looking at Sam Donald in the next week or two, and they're going to make a change because at this point, Matt Rule is, is going to be the first coach fired. So now we're asking Matt Rule to go out there and outcoach Kyle Shanahan. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's happening. The Niners are 7-1 against the spread last eight against an NFC team. They're rolling. they got the best defense, potentially, you could argue, the best defense in the NFL with my defensive player of the year preseason, when Nick Bosa leading the way, who's now moved into second place right uh, next to uh, uh, Micah Parsons for that award. Here's the problem with this game, Tim, and this is why I don't like it. Because the Niners opened up at three and a half, and I said, okay, I could kind of like that. Now it's up to you, said six and a half. I saw some sevens being hung out there. The Niners have already lost on the road to Denver, who's a pathetic team, and the Bears, who most people think is a terrible team, having their road problems, right? And you also have to look at the Panthers. They lost their first two games by five points combined. They've lost three games now by 15 total points. So as bad as they are, they play consistently tough. One injury, and we talked about injuries, one injury no, no one seems to be talking about in this game, Tim. Jeremy Chin will be out for the next month for the Panthers. Jeremy Chin is extremely vital to this Panthers team. He's going to miss a month. That defense has played really well on their head at some time. I think the Jeremy Chin injury might be the difference maker here. True. And really, Carolina, Tom, That that's it's funny how look at a schedule. One and three. They very well could be three and one. They gave that game to Cleveland in week one. They gave the game away to the Giants in week two. They could be three and one. It'd be a false three and one, but they could be three and one, and we'd be looking at this game differently. My question is, is you know McCaffrey out of the backfield last week, nine for 80, but he only had 27 yards rushing. But then again, they only ran the ball eight times to him. So I'm not sure the offensive philosophy here is, but if he's healthy, you got to pound the ball to him and, and establish the, the game plan early that, the, you know, that he's not just – He's a dual weapon out of the backfield, so why are they using him just like he's another receiver? That's the problem I have there. And with, with 49ers, it always comes down to, right, Tom, what's the last thing we saw? Well, Monday night, that was a great win over the Rams. Is there a letdown coming, though, on short rest? Yeah, that that is always – and it's a, it's not only that, not only the short rest, it's a short rest against a division opponent that you know that, that they love to bang heads and they hate each other. So now to get your emotion back up for this game, where it should be a walkover, yeah, that that's a problem. Speaking of that Ram team, they're going to be on their home field as the Dallas Cowboys down for this Sunday afternoon matchup. Dallas three and one with Cooper Rush, three and zero. Cooper Rush was three and zero in relief of the injured Dak Prescott. The Rams two and two. Tom, the Rams five and a half point favorite at home. Yeah, Rams are still living on that Super Bowl, right? I mean, you if you watch the Rams, they don't look good at all. Outside of Cooper Cup, who looks just phenomenally, looks unguardable, uh, Matthew Stafford looks looks like something's wrong. And I don't mean injury. I mean, it, it, he just looks out of sorts. He doesn't look right out there. They have no running game to speak of. Akers can't do anything. Henderson is worse, okay? Their offensive line, which I talked about in the preseason, is horrible. 
I mean, there's one of the worst offensive lines that you can imagine. They don't have a secondary receiver. Allen Robinson, if he gets like two catches a game, that that's huge upside for him. You're talking about using basically Cooper Cup on every single possession offensively. Defensively, they have the names. Bobby Wagner's a name. Aaron Donald's a name. Jalen Ramsey's a name. Nobody's playing while that's out of those three. And while you think that that would be enough, it's not. <clears throat> Dallas, meanwhile, they're 5-0 against the spread on the road. They have one of the best defenses in the league. They're going to come after you. Michael Parsons is going to live in Matthew Stafford's face today. I like what Cooper Rush is doing. He's taking what you give him. Oh, you want to give me the five-yard outplay to CeeDee Lamb and make him create in space? Okay, I can do that. Oh, do I get to go downfield to Noah Brown? All right, I'm going to do that. I'll flip it out to Pollard. Oh, we'll run it with Zeke three, four times in a row, and then we'll play action. I mean, this is a dangerous team because they're so locked into what they are, meaning, uh, look, we're a team that has to create. We, we don't get the luxury of just saying we have a good quarterback, he'll figure it out. No, we got to draw up creative plays, and we have to kind of be that team. The Rams are having trouble stopping just anybody right now consistently, but it's the offense I'm worried about. You can't go up against a good defense in the NFL – and look at a good defense in the NFL and say, we are one-dimensional. All we go, are going to do is to throw and be able to have success, especially if it's we're only going to really throw to one guy. I still think Cooper Cup's going to get his, his yards. I still think Cooper Cup can get his total for receptions and yards. I think Cooper Cup has a good game. But I don't know if anybody else on the offense can. I think the Rams are living by name recognition. I sort of like the Cowboys in this spot. But there is the old – you know, thing in the back of your head here, Tim, that just says, it's still the Rams, right? They still have the talent to turn it around. We just haven't seen it this year. Yeah, it's hard to bet. <clears throat> Theoretically, it's hard to bet on a team, a bet against the Rams who they haven't shown. And like you just said, Tom, that the offense is cap- putting up points. And what, again, we'll go back to what's the last thing we saw. They put up a nine, nine points on Monday night, nation watching against what it was against a division rival. It was against, uh, look, Shanahan owns McVay, right? Owns him. So you take that thought with you, and then you look at the story of Cooper Rush, which it's great. It's a great story. He's undefeated as an NFL quarterback. Tommy's 4-0. He could he could be join a, a list of quarterbacks. The only one I saw in there that was worth a damn was Kurt Warner, but to win his first five starts. It seems and, and like Jack it's Prescott the said he wanted to come back. Yeah. Tim Dak said he wanted to come back for this game. Well, he's worried about his job. That's why he wanted to come back, right, Tom? Is he getting nervous, Tim? I mean, does he have a reason to be nervous? I think if they win tomorrow, he better be nervous. I don't think they would bench him. No, I don't think. I think you got to go back to Dak when he's ready. Yeah, but, I, mean, you know. I don't think anything is going to keep it away from getting it back to Dak. Although, I think some fans are going to start screaming. I, right. I, I think Dak gets the job back no matter what. But I do find it interesting that he is, is, like you said, was nervous enough to kind of be like, hey, I could come back. I could come back a little bit early. Usually a star quarterback, it's wait until you get healthy. Don't worry. Take the extra week. Not in this spot. Yeah, I don't think it should have been mentioned because, look, they're paying him way too much money to make him a backup quarterback just because Cooper Rush is hot right now. If anything, you want Cooper Rush to do better just to keep winning that way when they do slot you back in, you know, you're the guy still. I think Cooper Rush, for him, it's almost like an audition, right, Tom, that can he be a starting quarterback in the NFL? 
size sample just gets better week after week. A win over the defending champs, that's a pretty big mark to put on your, your resume there. I like them a lot. I like what you said basically is that they're not trying to have him go out there and be Josh Allen, right? He's simplified the offense, and they're giving him a little more every week, as we saw in that win over Washington. So I like I like Cooper Rush a lot. I just think in this spot, road game, and the way the Rams played Monday, I'd have to think there's a bounce back here. Yeah, the, the Rams, I tend to think they win the game. I just don't love covering more than a field goal against this type of defense. Philly at Arizona. The Eagles, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. 29-21 win over Jacksonville, coming from behind to win that last week. Arizona won at Carolina. A lot of injury issues there for Arizona. And everybody everybody I've talked to, they love Philly tomorrow minus the five. I'm kind of on the back end. I was hoping I'd get a little more up to – I was hoping a seven would have been perfect for me. But um, I like the Cardinals kind of here in a spot where I think – the, the Eagles are ripe, not only for a failed cover, but they're ripe for an upset. Yeah, you've been harping on this. And, and you know, I, I, I will give you the numbers that the Cardinals are 0-7 against the spread in the last seven home games. Eagles have not scored 24 points in four straight games since 2017. Philly's 3-1 against the spread. Kyler Murray still is dealing with injury problems. Uh, there, there's all kinds of reasons to hate on Arizona. But I, like you, look at the line and I go, why? Why is it only five? I mean, you could make this 10 and probably get the same amount of action, right? I mean, you could legitimately probably not 10. You could make this an eight and a half line and probably get the same amount of action. So why? Why is Arizona sitting here with that number? I'm going to let you take this because you mentioned it last week when we were doing our, our kind of first glances. And, and we had talked about it last week. You said, kind of looking at Arizona. The number didn't come out to where you wanted it to be. Why do you still like Arizona? Tell me why Philly's ready for the ball just matches up the, the way you know when you look at Philly's the hot team right they're the team that everybody likes for scoring points uh, rejuvenated Jalen Hurts has been you know if it wasn't for Lamar Jackson's play and Josh Allen's play Jalen Hurts is right up there in the mix for they're talking MVP right and I know Kyler Murray is what he it's just not you know I just look at that offense, and I think Kyler Murray, he's got weapons there. There's no standout superstars per se. And this has always been a team that just kind of finds their way around, right? Look at the season so far. Take away the week one. We talked about how KC was coming in, guns loaded. That played out. The Raider game, come from behind win. The Ram game, they were kind of in it all the way till the end. Panthers. Look, it's the Panthers, but I, I just think Murray home against a team that's overvalued the Eagles. You have Brown, you have Chris Dorch, you have Connor, you have weapons there that he can. And once he gets mobile, the, the thing is here is if they can't protect Murray, forget about it. The Eagles are going to win this game. But something tells me that the line, the way it sets, and just the attitude of, of Philly coming in so hot. It's like nobody's talking about Arizona, and we all know, Tom, look at the lines in the last few weeks of games that we didn't like. Why? Why was Kansas City just a five-point favorite on the road at Indianapolis? Well, we found out why. They lost the game straight out. Why are lines that way? Usually you have to look to getting the home points, and I like the home team here tomorrow. Not only the cover, Tom, I think they can win the game. 
Is it a, more of a reasoning that you like Arizona or more of a reason that you just don't believe in Philly? Yeah, I think we have agreed from the beginning that Philly was overvalued and just the way they've played this year makes everybody they're, – they're the darling of the league right now, right? When you talk about, oh, the Eagles are putting up massive amount of points. Hurts is unbelievable. 29 last week, 24, 24, and then in that week one game, which they probably should have lost to Detroit, they put up a 38. They're exciting to watch. Well, I think tomorrow's game can be exciting as well. But Kyler Murray can be exciting too, Tom. And, and that's what it's going to come down to, Hurts and, and Murray. If unless The only way that the Eagles, if they blow them out, so be it. But if the game's close, and I've said this before, if the game is close, I think Murray finds the magic to win on his home field. Well, he's found magic already this year against the Raiders. Yes, yes. Sunday nighter, AFC North, Tom. Cincinnati 2-2, two and two, Baltimore 2-2. Two and two. The Ravens will be a three, three-and-a-half-point favorite at home tomorrow. And what can we say about Baltimore? Look, take the fandom out of this. You already know I'm the, I'm the biggest Ravens fan. They should be 4-0. There is no doubt about that, right? You Just terrible. But with that being said, they could have also been 0-4 finding ways to lose games because they just lead, no lead is safe for the Ravens in the second half. We saw it. We've seen it. They held on against the Jets. They found a way to lose to Miami in the second half in a game that was re- just absolutely ridiculous. That that burns me more than last week's loss against Buffalo in, in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati, well, they've been their, their kryptonite, Tom. Swept last year by the Bengals. We know kind of know what the Bengals did getting to the Super Bowl, but I think you said it in the beginning that there's an adjustment for the Bengals and we're kind of seeing that so far this year. Even the win last week on Thursday night against Miami, they didn't look exactly uh, spectacular. So things worry me. They get the Bengals have the extra rest, but I think Baltimore is coming in this one, Tom. How can you not be motivated after losing the way they did last week? Tim, my initial reaction, I wrote this to you on Sunday night. I said, I'm taking the Ravens next week. That was my blind reaction right away. And I didn't put them on our, our, on our Westgate card. Didn't put it out there for Tom Barton Sports. Because over the course of the week, I did my research, and I watched the games. The Ravens' pass defense, it just – their secondary is weird. If the Ravens' blitz doesn't get them – and they're going to have – they are having to blitz because their their rushers are not getting to the quarterback. So they're being able to blitz. And then the cornerbacks are failing. For some reason, they are still talented back there. But they're not playing effectively well. Now, you're getting a lot of interceptions and things like that. And I thought the same thing as you. Look, Cincinnati has owned them. They put up 41 on this defense last year. They're 6-1 against the spread the last seven overall games. The last five trips to take on the Ravens in, in Baltimore, they're 4-1 against the spread. I give you all that. No. What I did was I just watched, watched the Baltimore Ravens this week and watched their practice film, and I, I listened to them. While you say, you know what, bouncing back, they got to be motivated. I agree. They do. Tim, unfortunately, what I saw was guys hanging their heads. And, and what I saw was guys kind of doubting themselves. And if you get into a close game, and I expect it to be a close game, you get into a close game in the fourth quarter, are the Baltimore Ravens mentally able to say, okay, this won't be the collapse? Or are they so beaten down that they're going to start questioning themselves? If if the Ravens have a lead and the Bengals start to come back a little bit, do they start to go, uh-oh, here we go again? I'm not sure. I didn't like the body language in camp this week or in, in uh, practice this week. 
I didn't like the body language. I didn't like the, the words they said to the reporters. I didn't love the week of practice. So I pulled off of the Ravens. I still think they're the better team. And I still think they, they, they probably win this game. But there's enough there to make me be concerned. And, and if they do lose this game, Tim, I'm very concerned for the season for the Baltimore Ravens because you don't bounce back usually after back-to-back losses the way they had. And if they take another loss on top of that, this season could go in the tank quickly. Being a Ravens fan, I've learned to accept that no lead is safe. And it is very, very evident this year. When you have a secondary, Tom, that has guys like Marcus Peters and Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey and Kyle Hamilton and Geno Stone and Chuck Clark, like, you know, that's a solid secondary. And they play great in the first half. But when these teams are down and they have to come back and they kind of just, it's almost like you're in a prevent situation is you know they are going to pass the ball. Why can't you stop it? Why can't you stop Miami? Why is Joe Flacco throwing for 300 yards on you? Why is Josh Allen getting an opportunity to beat you? Those things don't make sense to me. And I've seen it with Cincinnati, Tom. Andy Dalton did it to the Ravens for years. No lead was safe. And Burrow last year, he he just, look, they just blew him out both games. They scored 40 on him in both games last year. I just don't want to be up 27-10 at the half, Tom, and then have to worry about him just picking apart that defense in the second half because I've, I've seen it every week. Every game this year I've seen it. Every game. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. It bothers me. I do think that when you have a coach that's going to go for the, the whole thing, he's, that's the thing about Harbaugh is he doesn't play it by the numbers, right? If there's a chance to just go for the, the kill, he does. And more times than not, it hasn't worked for him. And Lamar's just Lamar. You know, Lamar made a mistake, and it cost him in that game last week. He's played great. And I think you saw Dobbins, Tommy. We talked about this three weeks ago. Starting to get a little more involved, right? I like Dobbins this week. I think he's going to have a good game. I like Baltimore at home. I think Andrews is always going to be the X factor for me. You can talk about Jackson. You can talk about his feet. You talk about how he's playing. When Andrews isn't involved, bottom line is, look, it's a loss. They need to get him involved early. They need to let Dobbins and Justice Hill kind of run the ball and, and open it up for Lamar, and he'll make the big plays. I'm not sold on Cincinnati. I think it was um, they were overrated last year, and they're kind of taking that step back. Now, granted, look, Burrow's time, it seems like, so you have to look at that as well. But I like the Ravens on a close one tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you with Andrews. By the way, over under tomorrow's five and a half for Andrews catches. You like that? Yeah, I like it over. I, I think he's probably. I think he's an eight for eighty tomorrow. That's that's kind of where I see him. Eight for eighty, and get him in. That makes sense. And a tutty, yeah. What is uh? What are some of your your favorite props tomorrow, Tom? I know you've been doing very well on these individual player props. Yeah, look, I like I like Robinson um, from uh, Jacksonville to score. I touchdown, and I like him. Uh, his over yards is only sixty five. I kind of like um, Justin Jefferson. Over six and a half catches, but you're getting plus 125 back. Uh, I think Damian Harris has a big game tomorrow. I like over one and a half touchdown passes uh, for Joe Burrow against your your Ravens. Um, and and I think Allen Robinson under three and a half catches is one of the best of the week. Well, you know what time it is, Tom. It's, it's the free play segment. I'm going to start this week coming off my first L for the season. Tom, we lost to Timmy Teaser by a point. One point we lost to Timmy Teaser because of those damn Steelers, man. 
Oh, those Steelers hurt me last week, although I did win my free play, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, week five, Timmy Teaser, 3-1 and one on the season. We always document it here on the show. Then it goes up on the, on the Twitter. This week's titled teaser is going to be the Florida teaser, Tom. Give me the Bucks minus the three at home over the Falcons. Give me the Jaguars, virtually a pick em over the Texans. Tim, I absolutely love it. You know that I love it. I, I told you I like the Florida teams this week. <laughs> I love it. I'm going with your team to give me some offense and the Cincinnati Bengals as well. Give me the over 48 points in the Sunday night game. Um, look, we just talked about it. The Bengals scored 41 on this team twice last year. The Ravens offense, even after a down week last week, still ranks third in the NFL at about 30 points per game. Not only do I think that this one goes over 48 and gets into the 50s, I think both of these teams score 30, Tim. So give me an easy over between the Bengals and Ravens. Tommy likes the over in the Sunday nighter over the 48. The Timmy teaser is going to be Tampa minus three, Jacksonville pick. Hopefully we can get you to the windows to cash some more tickets. And with that being said, Tom, we've cut, it's come to that time, the end of the show, as we get ready for a game here in just six and a half hours. Tell everybody about not only Tom Barton Sports, you got YouTube, you got podcasts, and you got a show. Heck, you got to be up anyways. You got a show tomorrow, a national show early in the morning. Yeah, I got my show on the Morning Sports Garden Network. Want to bet? Weekend edition. Go check out the podcast, Believe in Betting on the Podcast Network and Wagering Week. Those are the podcasts out there. Go check out Believe in Ivy League as well. Getting a real big following during Ivy League football. And check out Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube and TomBartonSports.com. Guys, last time I was in Vegas, I went 4-0 with three right upsets. You want to jump on board TomBartonSports.com right now. I'm going to have a huge card tomorrow at TomBartonSports.com. Tom, are we going to sneak a nap in here? Ah, who naps? Well, what are we talking about? <laughs> Come on. Don't right, table. <laughs> Best of luck tomorrow. Of course, you'll be back with us tomorrow night on the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. Hang in there. For Mateo, for Tommy Barton, Tim Unglesby, we'll talk to you again tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, right here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a good sports